Welcome back to the LED Project Podcast. My name is Kyle Krieger, and I am thrilled to be joined on this episode by my co-host, Wilkie Law. Will, what's going on? Oh, man, chilling. Putting my feet up after the first week of school, so. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty pumped. To, it, it hasn't, but this, this will be number 101. So I'm pretty pumped that by the time this comes out, we'll have done our 100th episode, which is a, a huge milestone for us. But we're super pumped to, tonight to have Andrew Fry on the podcast. Andrew, thanks for taking some time for us. Perfect. Thank you guys for having me on. I definitely appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were just we were chatting a little bit prior to hitting record about names that are hard to pronounce and all that fun <laughs> stuff. So it's, it's good. Yeah. But, but we're, we're thrilled to have you. Perfect. That's amazing to be on. And congratulations too on the show. That's definitely incredible. Yeah, yeah, man. It's it's yeah, it's been a it's been a you know, it's been a kind of crazy ride. We, you know, just in January we really started being committed to having guests. And you know, we started reaching out like I reached out to you through Instagram or you know, we emailed people and I thought it was going to be way harder, but the teacher community is so awesome that so many people are just like, "Yeah, I would love to do that." So it's been yeah. It's been a it's been a lot of fun. So yeah, we'll go ahead and kick it off, man. Yeah. So um, you know, we always kind of talk about the you know the reason we started this is kind of to push teacher voice, and then you know that's kind of our focus is really pushing, getting teachers, amplifying teacher voice, so that other teachers can kind of glean from the experiences that we're having. I know I've learned so much from you know the, the guests we've had online who. So giving us, you know, so many good gems and good nuggets of information and knowledge to bring back to the classroom. And um, that's our hope that our listeners will actually be able to glean from the guests that we have so that they can improve in their craft. So we're all about trying to add value to our craft. So we want to thank you for being here. And uh, just the first question we always open with is, uh, can you tell our listeners the story of how and why you became a teacher? Yeah, of course. Um, so I actually, I didn't know that I wanted to teach. I know um, a lot of teachers, you know, when you talk to them, they kind of grow up being that, like, I want to be a teacher and, um, you know, playing that teacher kind of role as a child. And um, that wasn't me. You know, I didn't I didn't know I wanted to be a teacher until probably I would say my senior year of, uh, of high school. And I lucked out and I got probably the best job that I think definitely swayed me towards teaching. And that was at a, uh, an after school camp. Um, actually right across from my high school in Huntley. And it was amazing because I got to go into the class or I got to go into the uh, into the cafeteria after school and I got to interact with um, kindergarten all the way up through fifth graders. And I think the the instance that stood out that kind of really had an impact on me, you know, as a teacher is when one of the students came up to me and looked right at me and it was uh, it was a first grader and told me that I was the first guy that he's ever seen in an elementary school uh, before. And it was one of those moments that just kind of, you know, you just kind of pause for a second and you don't really know what to say. And, you know, you have so much stuff that you, you know, you're thinking at the time and just the innocence and that, you know, like in that child's voice of, you know, they're not being a male role model that he's ever seen before in a school and kind of making that difference, even if it was for that hour, two hours after school in their life. Um, I think that was definitely the reason that kind of pushed me on kind of why I want to be a teacher. But I mean, kind of like you guys were saying, even in the beginning of this, you know, the Instagram and Facebook community for teachers has, I think, exploded in the last year or two. 
you know, with just that collaboration and stuff. And one of the um, one of the teachers that I really looked up or look up to is a, a guy named Mr. D. And he was on Ellen, and he's a super super popular teacher. And I think he kind of worded it best when he talked about that he wants to make his classroom a place where kids want to be, not where they have to be. You know, and I think that that's kind of my why every day. And that's something that I have on a post-it note um, right next to my desk, you know. And it's just a constant reminder for me that, you know, I want to put 110% into everything that I do and, you know, building those relationships in that classroom. So that's definitely my why, you know. And just having podcasts like this that get these teachers on is absolutely incredible. Yeah, yeah. We were we were lucky um you know, when we really got committed to, to having guests, we re- reached out to him and, and he was so, so awesome. And we had such a good conversation and that was really kind of, you know, since him, our, our podcast has really grown because, you know, he, he said he's got such a following, but the thing about him is like, he is just, he is just as genuine in person as he is like, like who he comes across as online is exactly who he really is. I can totally see that from him. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Awesome. Um, so in your eyes, what is the value of a great teacher? Um, there's, so, I mean, the value, I mean, that's, that's such a hard, you know, like a deep question, but I think the, you know, the value of a great teacher is definitely just somebody that kind of, you know, has that passion and has that impact on a student's life. And, um, there was a story that, um, that one of my teachers read to me, um, a while ago and it kind of, I think embodies what that is. Um, and if you guys have ever heard it before, it's called the starfish story. Mm -hmm. Um, and I forget, and I forget the author who wrote it, um, but I'm pretty sure her first name was, um, Lauren. Uh, but it kind of follows, it talks about this old man who's walking on this beach and there's a kid in the distance and, um, the tide washed up like thousands of starfish right on this beach. And this old man's walking and he comes up to this kid and the kid's throwing all these starfish back into the, into the ocean, like one by one. And the old man asks the kid what he's doing. And the, and the kid responds back that he's throwing starfish in the ocean. And there's thousands of starfish on this beach, right? And the old man looks at the kid and he's like, well, you're probably like, you know, you're not going to save all these starfish, you know, like, um, you know, like before the sun rises and stuff. And the kid looks at the old man and with the same kind of genuine voice, you know, again, that the, um, that that other boy kind of, um, you know, said to me, he looks up at the old man and he says it made a difference to that one you know, kind of right, like, as he's throwing one in. And I think that that kind of embodies kind of what the value of a great teacher is, is there's so many students in our class, and there's so many students in our school, you know, that to be that teacher that is, you know, among these thousands of starfish and is, you know, individually making sure that each one, you know, gets what they need and you make that difference, I think that, you know, I think that that story kind of hopefully embodies um, at least what I think a great teacher is. Mm. You know, you're right. You, you said two words that I wrote down that just hit me with value and impact. Yeah. And I think that that is that when we started our nonprofit, that is the premise that we wanted to do is to, to bring back the value of the teachers. Um, you know, we've gotten to the point to where we're, we're not in, in the United States, you know, uh, we're not looked upon as the go-to people. We're looking like, oh, they're just glorified babysitters in some cases. Yeah. You know, and, you know, Kyle and I, 
I, I think it was Kyle who actually came up through with the statement that said, you know, hey, we're the we're the one percent. We we make up one percent of the population in the United States, yeah. and we have we have the ability and the opportunity to influence the other ninety nine through what yeah. we do. And there's no other there's no other discipline, no other area that profession that has that power. Yeah. You know, and I think if teachers really start understanding that, then we would have more teachers taking those risks to be great. Mm-hmm. You know, because we, you know, we ask the question a lot, but I think a lot of people don't understand that in order to be great, there's a risk that comes along with it. You know, you, you're going to have to be vulnerable. You're going to have to open yourself up. You're going to have to, you know, be receptive to what your kids are doing and be constantly adapting. And, and that, those traits, I mean, in any other profession would make us millions of dollars. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but instead, we create the next generation that's going to go out and to do those things. So, man, yeah, I love, I, and I love to start this story. I mean, it, I don't care how many times you hear it, the, the, the value of it and the impact of that story, it embodies what teaching is. So I thank you for that. So, moving on, you know, we like to talk about, you know, we know, we know content, content, content. We just talked before, you got to learn to you're self-contained. So you yeah. get an opportunity to kind of teach across the spectrum. So, but in teaching that, what is one thing that you think all students should be taught? Um, so one thing that, and 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 I kind of talked to you guys about this a little bit before uh, before we started the podcast. But um, one of the things you know that I that I push really hard um, in my classroom and stuff, and try to teach my kids from day one is just kind of being a family. You know, and in the first day, um, actually the first day of school, I sit them all down on the carpet and I, and I tell them that regardless of if you've been in the school for, you know, your entire life or your school career, quote unquote, right? Or you're here for day one and this is your first school, right? I say the fact that you're in my classroom right now means that you have 23 family members, you know, and for some kids and especially the district that I teach in. Um, a lot of them are low income or they're homeless, right? So that, just that statement right there has a huge impact on these children, you know, to know that right off the bat from day one that they have a family and they have people. And I tell them, you know, like I have your back as long as you have mine, you know, and every time before I send them out on the playground, I make sure that I have them repeat that, you know, cause I want them to know that they don't, that they not only have me to look up to, right. But they, that, that they have each other, you know, and I also push in my classroom, I push uh, meditation a lot and that's something that we kind of just when we get back from lunch um in the afternoon that's just something and and, you know like we're still working on it and i am too you know i didn't get into meditation until until probably about a year or two ago um when i had a good friend i tell him too like right off the bat i'm like you guys are gonna think that when you do this that it's gonna be the craziest thing and you're gonna look super silly you know and like all of them agree like they all agree because like you just can't be doing like the rainbow breath and stuff like that in front of everybody and not feel silly at least once or twice you know so like just that meditation and you know having like teaching them that ability to calm their minds because students even now with you know all the video games and all like the tv and just everything even even in the world today you know even adults and you know children need to take that time to just kind of pause for a second and kind of self-reflect and i think that you know um I, you know if you if, even if you teach kindergarten all the way up through seniors in high school you know i think that there's some sort of value that can come out of teaching kids that kind of compassion and that kind of you know meditation where they can not only do it in school but they can do it outside of school and you know in their future jobs in college and you know kind of as they progress throughout life 
Yeah. Yeah. I I'm I'm we're both still working on the meditation thing and and there are some moments when I feel silly doing it and I feel self-conscious yeah. and I'm sitting in a room by myself so it's really cool that you know you're letting your kids not letting but you're showing them how to do that and I I love that cuz it's a it's a practice like you said it's a practical skill that they can use not just when they're in school. Yeah. Right. All right, and I, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that because I'm going back into the classroom. That is one of the things that I picked up over the last three years that I really got heavy in. You know, waking up in the morning, visualizing it, and I said I wanted to bring that to my classroom, and I haven't. So I think I, I know, and I think I'm going to next week bring that in and introduce my kids to that because I've had some powerful moments this first week because I'm teaching in a very urban setting, okay. and. Uh, we're 48-48 with a couple of sprinkles around as far as our population. We're almost split directly down the middle of African-American and Hispanic, but all urban. And so um, it's a it's a real different environment. I'm used to teaching where it's majority Hispanic uh, students, younger students. Um, and it's a challenge. You know, this is, I knew it was a challenge in going into it. And I think that that slowing Teaching kids to slow their own minds down, mm-hmm. I think, is a huge thing. It's incredibly valuable. You know, go ahead. No, 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 no. I was, I was just saying that, like, that just kind of agreeing with you that it's just extremely valuable. And if I can, like, offer kind of advice, I guess, which is, you know, kind of weird because I'm, I just taught my first week as a first year teacher. <laughs> so, but something, I mean, that I've been told from, uh, from somebody else, you know, because all great teachers steal stuff from other teachers and then kind of adapt Absolutely. it on their own. Um, there's something that I lead kind of every single day with my class. Um, and I know for sure that it would work for, uh, for sixth grade for your class. Um, I always start with a three, two, one, and it's kind of different than the three, two, ones. Like a lot of teachers know. Um, I always start it with three things that I'm proud of them of from the previous day, you know? And like, I tell them about stuff because like, you can talk about like three things that you're proud of, like in general, or even that you're going to do today. But that's something like really, I mean, again, going along with the reflecting stuff, you know, three things that I'm proud of you of about yesterday, you know? And then the two that I do is always two things, um, that we can improve on from yesterday, you know? And my fourth graders, like they know, um, you know, kind of the, the times in the day that they kind of start to, you know, lose focus and they start to get off track and stuff like that. So those two goals I kind of start with for the day, whatever happened the previous day. And then the one I always leave for them. And, you know, I kind of, I start off the year by telling them I can set your goals for you, but that doesn't help you. You know, so the one I always give them time and I help them practice by doing the smart goals. Um, and if you're not familiar with the smart goals, definitely Google that. Um, and that just kind of helps them how to, you know, how to visualize and set a goal for themselves. But, you know, having them set that goal and I give them 30 seconds to a minute, you know, it can be inside of school, it can be outside of school, but, um, that's always how I start my day. And even just in this first week as a first year teacher that I've done that, um, I'll have kids that even write it on an index card by this point. It's only been day five and put it on their desk that they remember that goal for the rest of the day. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And, you know, it's funny because we do with, with our, when I did the mentoring last year with new teachers, I would have teachers do that similar thing in our, in our, in our meetings. They would do a three, two, one reflection. And I never would think about, you know, well, we've done it, but I've never thought about doing it in that fashion. So yeah. thank you. I, 
You know, I believe this. You know, I think, as you said, all great teachers, you know, we, we take things and we remix them, make them our own. Yeah. And I think that is something, you, you mentioned it before, that how Instagram and social media has kind of taken our our communities, our, our educational communities, and opened it up so much. Yeah. And I'm so grateful for it. I mean, to, to be able to connect with, I mean, you're, you're all the way in, in Illinois. Yeah. And, you know, I'm protecting Texas, Kyle's in Wisconsin. But through social media now, we can reach out and, and actually kind of peek into peek into the life of teachers every place and, and get get those little nuggets that you know that you would be privileged to in other in you know in previous times. Mm-hmm. So no, 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 completely agree. And even too, like even in college, when I was uh, you know when I was I think a sophomore when I started to really kind of see these teacher accounts, it was something that like even as a sophomore, and you know I. I still consider myself a kid, but even as a kid, you know, um, I would see these teachers kind of post this stuff and it was so inspiring. You know what I mean? To see these teachers have their own classroom. And then I just kind of had that sit in the back of my head that I was going to make a teacher Instagram and I was going to do all this stuff that they were doing. And I started one probably about a month or two ago, you know, and it's crazy because even just in that short amount of time, I'll get comments from people that are the exact same comments that I sent to teachers when I was a sophomore, junior, and senior in college about how inspiring they are to me and how I'm taking their ideas and kind of having that excitement in the back of my head. And, you know, it's even, it's still mind-blowing to me that, you know, just within this little time that I've created it, just the response that it's gotten, but the interaction, you know what I mean, between people, you know, like us that are doing this podcast right now. But, you know, just those side conversations that, you know what I mean, you don't really hear about that much. And, and I think, you know, to your point, I think it's a time like in in the world where new teachers have as much to teach old teachers. Old, yeah. not, I don't want to say old. I'm not calling you old, Will. Older teachers. I mean, because you, I would, I would be kind of right on the cusp of being a digital native at 34, but, you know, I, I'm of the mind. I grew up with Facebook. Like when I was in college. Facebook just came out and now, you know, kids, younger people are not even hardly on Facebook, but the fact that you're on Instagram and and you understand it. And I think you yourself and the newer teachers, as they come up, you, you have such a knowledge of the way the world works and what kids are really going through that. I think you have a lot of value in telling your story and, and creating those relationships and, and adding to, to what our profession is. Well, Kyle, I'm not going to take the old shot because my kids today told me, uh, the kids told me today, they said, Mr. Law, you can't be over 25. Oh, And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, I gave them a math problem. Of course, I gave them something that they would have to really work to try to solve to figure out my age. And they still hadn't done it. But um, the fact that the kids, I, you know, I laughed with them and I told them, I said, do y'all know who Jay-Z is? They're like, yeah. I think he's in an interview with James David Letterman, and he asked him how long would he be rapping. And he said, until I'm not relevant anymore. And that's what I told my kids. I was like, I'll be cheating until I'm no longer relevant. And for me, the fact that I get new kids every year, and I learn new things from those kids, I'm a student in the classroom just as much as they are, and so it keeps me relevant. You know, I don't, I don't see, I'm not the old, even though I'm, I'm one of the more veteran teachers on my team, I don't feel old 
I don't feel disconnected. I'm I'm still very much connected. I guess having a seventh grade daughter really helps that, you know, yeah. uh, to keep me up to tune, you know, because I'm listening to what she listens to. And I'm saying, hey, if I don't like it, then we're going to have a conversation about it, you know. So I still know what they're doing. I still know the lingo and kind of having to speak the language that they speak. But it's just that relevance piece. Can I continue to be relevant? And when I realize I'm no longer relevant, then I'll pull myself out of the game. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that that's something as an educator that we have to realize that even if your heart is there, if you're no longer relevant, let's find something else to do. You can stay in the profession, but don't become a, a, a hindrance to our kids and their growth because your mindset is still, you know, my, 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 my principal calls it the landline mindset. You know, you're trying to teach Wi-Fi kids with a landline mindset. And... If that ever occurred in my line, like I say, I'll pull myself out just to make sure that I'm not being a hindrance to somebody else. So, mm. I believe in staying relevant. So, I'm, I'm good with being, you know, I'm 44 years old and I don't look at so <laughs> You guys are both young. Don't worry about it. I feel like once you hit like the, you know, the 60 plus is when you start to, you know, hopefully be old. But I mean, my kids, even now in fourth grade, they, uh, you know, they guess my age and, you know, I get nowhere near 22, you know, with my age and stuff like that. I'm getting in the 30s and I got one that was in the 40s, which I kind of paused for a second. And I walked away. It's <laughs> uh, good. That's you good, know, though. But like, yeah, yeah. And like these kids, like even fourth grade, like they, you know, they're mind blown. The fact that I listen to the same music, that uh, you know, as them and stuff like that. And I get the references mm-hmm. that they make. And, um, you know, ultimately, I kind of speak the same way that they do. You know, and I think that that's kind of the beauty of teaching, too, is because even, you know, especially in elementary, you're always exposed to that kind of, you know, that young, you know, kind of, I guess, like hip, you know, vibe, Um, you know, and it's always going to be changing and there's always going to be stuff. And, um, you know, I don't know. I think that's kind of like the the secret beauty of teaching, I guess, is like that's something that you don't really talk about with people. But, you know, you're always kind of like in the hip because you have kids that, you know, are just constantly, you know, every year coming in and out. You know, and I told, I told my teachers this year when we started, when I joined this team, I said, you know, I feel like I found the fountain of youth when I started teaching. I'm definitely not that teacher who allows the, the, the profession to beat me down. You know, because I, I'm, I'm that constant reflection. I, every morning, I, I share my my nightly reflections with my students. I share every single day this week my nightly reflections with my students. So that they can see that I'm taking you home with me. I'm thinking about the things that we did in the classroom, and I'm thinking about how we can do it better. You know, and one of the students told me today, he was like, you know, he's a troubled kid. Everybody told me, oh, he's going to do this. But he told me today, he goes, Mr. Law, you're the only And he said that with tears in his eyes after a substitute had put him out and was going to write him up. And I went to the substitute and was like, hey, you've only known this kid for four days. You can't possibly be that angry at a kid for being a kid. You know what I mean? It's like you can't ask a sixth grader to sit in the room for 90 minutes and be quiet. That's not. Developmentally, they're not. I can't. No, No, I agree with that. It's not going to happen, so we have to, you know, but again, she's not a, a you know, certified teacher. She does not have that. So I'm trying to give her some insight, and I said, hey, if he gives you problems, send him directly to me. He knows it. Yeah. And 
for the kid to look at me and understand that I have his back and that I'm a champion for him. Mm-hmm. Because if I don't reach another one, I've gotten him. And that's my goal is just to focus on one and win one at a time until eventually I win all 1,257 of them, you know. So yeah. <laughs> that's the beauty of, uh, of teaching and, and, yeah. and loving what you do. I think that's the difference. Yeah, I would agree. Loving what you do. So, um, I know we got kind of stopped. But, I mean, hey, good conversation, really good conversation. So, um, so along those same lines, you know, we kind of talked about our experiences right now. So what is your take on the state of education today? Um, you know, I'm more of a, of a glass half full type of person, you know. And, I mean, education right now is, you know, definitely changing. Um, and I think the way that I look at it is it's if I were to pick a word, I would say it's evolving. You know, and the reason that I say evolving is just because um, even if I reflect kind of going back on that topic, too, about when I was in elementary school as a fourth grader, as a third grader, and even, you know, middle school and high school, there was no, you know, common core. There was no STEM, you know, and I think that there's so many things in education that you can look at, you know, as a teacher, you can reflect on it, you know, from the outside, or even as a student, you can look at it and say, I don't like this, or, you know, I like this, but let's change it like that. And, you know, there's so much stuff that in education, that's just changing. And I think evolving is the right term because, you know, I don't think we're ever going to get it on the, on the point that we want where it's going to be perfect. You know, and there's always going to be stuff that we want to change with testing and state national testing and even as a district, too. But um, I think that there's just, you know, there's things in education that, you know, like STEM that are completely changing the way that our students look at firsthand problems, you know, or 21st century problems. And just that kind of thinking is something that I was never exposed to, you know, and I think that curriculums like that. And, you know, all these other new kind of, you know, not only companies, but um, organizations and foundations and, you know, just districts kind of thinking and taking that philosophy and kind of changing it, even though some people might not like it, you know, it's just something just to be open minded. But, um, you know, I mean, it's it's definitely changing. And I don't think that there's ever going to be a point where we're stagnant and where we are as teachers or even just as a teaching community. Um but, you know, I'm more of a glass half full type of person, so I would definitely just kind of, you know, it's it's an up and down, but definitely evolving. Mm. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's funny because I, I believe that is the best word to describe it. And, and one thing about evolution is that there's that dissonance that takes place, that has to take place in order for evolution to happen. There has to be, you have to, there has to be something that triggers the evolution. And I think right now, so many people are opening their eyes up to the inequitable treatment, the inequitable treatment of of students. Mm -hmm. And people are realizing that, oh, there's so many students that have, but even in our own country, there's so many students that do not have. Um, And I think that attention, again, social media is bringing that to life and saying, hey, look, the kids over here who have have nothing, then there's a group over here, how can we balance this out? to make sure that everybody has that equal shot to, to you know, to, that equal chance to take that shot. So, mm-hmm. yeah, no, 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 to definitely succeed. I would agree. So, yeah, I, I, like I say, I think that's the perfect word for that is evolving. But, um, so what is your, I know it's your first year, you're probably, you know, looking at it and trying to develop it, but do you have a 
for a philosophy of education that you subscribe to? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely, like, my philosophy of education and just kind of, you know, my classroom as a whole is I want my students to to see themselves and what we do in the classroom and to kind of have that purpose. Um, so I have kind of a, a um, like, a quote, um, and it's on my door, and it, you know, it just talks about that, you know, my classroom's a diverse and a safe place um, that's encouraging for everybody, you know, and that's something that I truly believe in. Um, when my students step into my classroom that, you know, if I do a science project with them, I want you know, the girls in my class to see themselves as scientists. You know, I want them to see themselves as engineers, you know, and I want every single one of my students to see themselves in what we do in the readings, in the different types of histories. And I want them to, you know, feel valued and respected. And I think that that's something that, you know, I really push in my classroom and that I make a priority. Uh, But I feel like that if I do that and I, I make my students feel heard and feel respected and I kind of give them that purpose behind what we're learning. Um, I've definitely, you know, seen them take that extra step, um, to really take control of their own learning and to really push themselves to succeed. Mm. It's perfect. Perfect. So, you know, kind of getting in into the, a little bit of the nuts and bolts of, of your teaching, but what we also really want to talk to you about is, um, how you created firsthand museum. So could you give us uh, just a little bit of a description of what firsthand museum is and kind of the story behind you creating it? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so firsthand museum is a collection of primary artifacts, um, available for kindergarten through 12th grade teachers, um, where it is, um, a rentable collection where they can go on our website and they can rent, um, primary artifacts from history, science, and culture and get them shipped directly to their classroom. Um, And this kind of idea came about when I was actually teaching up in Chicago um, in CPS during summer school. And one of the students that I was teaching didn't want to learn any of the, you know, the subjects that I was teaching him. And um, he ended up not doing so well in those same subjects in the actual year. So he was taking summer school to remediate it. And I'm up there and I'm teaching him. And, you know, I put 110 percent into every single lesson that I give to these kids because, you know, if I don't find what I'm teaching relevant, how can I expect them to find what I teach relevant to? So I'm pouring my heart out to this kid, standing in front of the room, trying to teach him all these subjects, right? And he's not responding to it, you know? And it kind of carried on like that for a couple weeks. And every single day, his mom would come and pick him up, okay? His mom worked two or three jobs to support him and his brothers and sisters. And every single day that his mom would pick him up, I would overhear their conversation, and he would beg his mom to take him to the Field Museum in Chicago, and I didn't, I didn't think about it for a while. And I kind of, you know, it just was kind of that, you know, that cluster in the back of your head that you just kind of think about. And it didn't really click for a while, but I was eventually, I thought about it more. And I was like, why does this kid who doesn't want to learn about any of the stuff that I'm teaching him in the room want to then learn about the exact same stuff outside of school? You know, and it's kind of that concept that you just think about and like, you don't know how to answer it. And I thought about it more, and I thought about what the Field Museum in Chicago is. Um, It's this natural history museum, and they have, you know, these dinosaur fossils and Native American exhibits and meteorites and all this stuff. And I kind of narrowed it down to, you know, if this kid wants to learn about this stuff that I'm teaching him, he he wants to see it. He wants it to be relevant to him. You know, I can stand up there and I can talk to this kid about, you know, the Revolutionary War, you know, a war that happened hundreds of years ago, like a crucial point in American history, right? But... 
how is it important to this kid? You know, why does it have any relevance to him? You know, as an elementary schooler, why, why should he care about the Revolutionary War? You know, I can stand up there and tell him why, but he wants to see those uniforms. He wants to see the cannonballs. He wants to see the muskets. He wants to see the bayonets. And I think that that's kind of, that is ultimately the drive that made me create this company is, you know, I want these students that are in these 21st century classrooms that are learning about all of this stuff and this history and this science and this culture to actually hold it, you know, and it to be sent to the classroom and, you know, ultimately be, I think, one of the most engaging learning processes that, you know, kindergartners all the way up through 12th graders can ever experience. It's so crazy to me, the, the irony of that, <laughs> that in 2018, yeah, yeah, that with, with everything we have that brings education, you know, to them tech, you know, and, and the push for technology that it, there's still a desire for kids to want to hold and touch and see things. And also to that, you know, you, that takes a ton of self-awareness and, and really, you know, diligence to a kid to have overheard that conversation and put the pieces together. That's not that easy to put those pieces together. That that's what that yeah. kid needed. And I, I, yeah. I mean, I think it's a super, it's just such a super cool concept. Yeah. Thank you. So, so in your experience, you know, based on that and why you do it, why, why are these firsthand artifacts so important for kids? Um, so like I kind of said, this is my first year teaching, right? And I taught um, summer school and kind of during the summer with a program called Golden Apple. Um, and that's a huge scholarship program for Illinois um, for teachers. Um, so if there are any new teachers, definitely I would look into Golden Apple because it is an amazing organization. And that's ultimately kind of where I got my, I guess, first teaching experience from. And um, me being in those classrooms before I even student taught, was a huge kind of plus because I would go into these classrooms from all the way from pre-K all the way up through even, um, even through middle school. And I would see, you know, these educators and these teachers, cause I would observe, um, I would, I would just see these classrooms that would struggle with engaging these kids, you know, and I would see these teachers try to pull out all of these books and these worksheets and, you know, show them videos and honestly give them the best materials that they could possibly find you know, to engage these students and to teach them why this stuff is important. And I think that, you know, the artifacts play such an important role, you know, with teaching these kids because it's actually bringing the history to them, you know. And these artifacts are extremely important because not only can a kid, you know, watch a video about the Holocaust, but they can actually get those newspapers that were published and get the gas masks and get, you know, all of these different things that makes it real for them. Right. Um, not, not to get off the topic of firsthand museum. So, but so you, so your experience, uh, or let me, let me backtrack. Would you say that you spent more time in a classroom prior to even student teaching and becoming a teacher than most college students would? Yeah. Um, so with the uh, with the organization that I'm a part of, and it was a twenty three thousand dollars scholarship, um, and it was a whole process that goes with it. But we have um, what are called summer institutes, and I think that's probably the best part of this. My whole teaching career, at least the initial first half of it, 
was every single summer after I would go to college and during the summer where we would have this, you know, this break, um, we would be in the classroom for five weeks and they would kind of scatter us all around Illinois in these different, what are called summer institutes. And we would teach this. They would put us in the classroom, uh, mostly summer school, um, where we would teach the content to the kids. And it gave us that kind of experience, you know, and imagine being a freshman, not even experiencing your first class as a freshman in college. And during the summer, right before college, being put in a classroom in front of like second graders, you know, and like not only teaching them, but observing other teachers in like inner city Chicago, you know, and it's, it's so crazy because there's so many scholars that are from different parts of Illinois that you just get so much experience from the different, you know, schools and communities that you're put in. And you just have this, this incredible love for, you know, all of these students because everybody comes from this different background, right? But we kind of come together in this school and we get that teaching experience. And then after we're done teaching them, um, we do professional development for the rest of the um, the afternoon and night. So I did that for all of four years. Um, So before I even started my first um, semester of student teaching, I had over 700 hours in the classroom. Wow. Jeez. Yeah. So, and then that's not even, I mean, Illinois State, and that's where I graduated from in May. That's an incredible university, and they pushed us in the classroom from the start of my freshman year. All of the gen eds that we had to take were all geared towards education. So we weren't just taking a general ed for you know science or biology. It was biology or it was science for elementary school teachers. So they were pushing. Illinois State was pushing us in the classroom and doing these observations even our freshman year of college. And you know that obviously continued, and we got more and more hours in the classroom as we progressed. But, I mean, again, that's an amazing university. So along with Golden Apple, but not only Illinois State University, I had so much experience in the classroom that I think that that's a huge, you know, how comfortable I am in front of my kids now. But, you know, just the the life experience teaching in front of, you know, these children. That's that's bonkers to me because, you know, from from looking at your Instagram and, and following you and stuff, I would have never guessed that you were a first year teacher. But I mean, that's, I bet I didn't have, I bet I didn't have 50 hours in a classroom before I student taught. Yeah. Yeah. And that's most people, honestly. And Illinois State, and and that was one of the big reasons why I picked this university because, you know, even when I was, you know, I guess going college shopping, um, you know, I looked at all these different universities and I knew that I wanted to just stay in Illinois. Um, but Illinois State just had this super push even four years ago, um, really trying to get these, you know, these future teachers into their university because they knew that there would be so many people that would go through their freshman, sophomore, junior year of college, and they would never be put in a classroom until their senior year, you know? And that, like, you can go through all these education classes and learn the theory and learn, you know, the philosophy of education, and I feel like I feel old saying that because I even remember people telling me that as teachers when I was in college, you know, but like, it's so true though. Like you can sit in these classes for teaching and, you know, hear all these people talk about like, if a kid says this, then you say this because this philosopher said this a hundred years ago, you know, but like, geez, that's the but, truth. You know, like these kids are just so different than, you know, these people that did these like experiments and they did all these different types of like books and theories and stuff. These kids are completely different, you know, so you almost have to be in front of those kids and, 
even just watching in the back of the classroom is such an amazing experience. And if there's any new teachers that are listening to this, if you can get in the classroom and even just emailing a school and telling them that you were, that you're a future educator and that you want to go and see those classrooms, that's not only a huge probably plus for the administration that sees that, but that's, that shows your dedication and to learn from these different teachers. You know, and I think that that's probably one of the most invaluable experiences that you can have is just to sit in the back of a room and watch, you know, a champion, like you said, teach. Right. You know, I think my, I came in the alternative route. I was a sociology major in college. And so I didn't, teaching was my third career choice. Uh, Well, actually my fourth and fifth career choice after graduating college. And I was so fortunate that I came in um, under a master teacher, masterful teacher, who was actually my mentor because I was an inclusion, special education inclusion teacher. So we shared a classroom. And so not only did I get to watch her during the time that we shared a classroom and that we were working with the students, but when I took my break, I didn't leave the classroom. I stayed in there with her to observe her teaching. And it's so phenomenal when you watch a teacher in their element. Yeah. And like I say, that, that experience made up for any hours that I did not get going to yeah. college in education because she had such a love for what she did and had a firm grip on what she was doing. Mm-hmm. You know, discipline and management, which is, you know, I, I tell kids all the time, you can't, you can't teach kids that can't sit still. Yeah. You can't, you know, you can't, you can't begin to teach them unless you first establish what is, what, what are the principles of the classroom? Mm-hmm. And from watching her and seeing her develop it, I mean, it was like when I got ready to go into my own classroom, it was easy as pie because I had yep. watched her yep. for three years, exactly. you know, before I had even gotten in that classroom. So, yeah, I, I agree with that a hundred percent. So, wow. you definitely have to look into the golden apple. I mean, that's. Um, that sounds really awesome. I've never heard of it. Well, and I and I think too, from my perspective, you know, I grew up small town Wisconsin, went to a smaller school in Minnesota, you know, small town that, and my first job winds up being in Houston. And and you know, like like you were saying, the fact that you're teaching in an you know with low income kids, and you observed how low income kids, you know, work in schools, that puts you miles ahead of where I was. Because I, you know, I moved to Texas and they have me teaching a full year of Texas history my first year. Yep. Uh-huh. I can only imagine what that was like. And, and I'm like, well, at Winona State University in Minnesota, they don't teach you any Texas history. No, of course they don't. I'm sorry, Will, to, to let you know that they don't teach Texas history everywhere in the country. Oh, man, you know, but I mean, that, that paled in comparison to having to learn and understand and like you said observe low-income kids and hispanic kids whose first language isn't english and you know kids of color of all different varieties and what they go through like i grew up so sheltered and so privileged and it's you know you were talking about the instagram community teacher community like i didn't really even understand it or acknowledge it until we really started diving into the Instagram community. And I was like, Oh my God, like I, on, on one hand, I feel 
bad about the way I taught and the things I didn't know. But on the other hand, I appreciate how, how good I've got it. But like you said, I, I'm just like, I can't even wrap my mind around the fact that you had 700 hours before you even student taught you. I mean, you have to be, I mean, you're, you're a full semester of teaching ahead of everybody. That's like, that's like 20 full weeks. Yeah. Yeah. I've never really put in the weeks before, but I mean, it was definitely, it was definitely a blessing, you know? And like that kind of experience is, you know, again, I think it's, you know, invaluable. And kind of like you said, like just seeing the different perspectives of different students and, you know, um, being able to teach in Northern Illinois and then, you know, jumped out to Southern Illinois just to see, you know, compare that difference in a classroom is complete 180 you know and like that even goes to you going back to teaching in texas you know like the students that you're teaching you could be teaching the same subject you know as a teacher in one state but have a completely different experience you know than a teacher in another in another state teaching the exact same grade just because of the community that you teach in you know or even just the region in the united states that you are Oh, and, and I can attest, and, and you know, you might not deal with this with being four, fourth, a fourth grade self-contained teacher, but I didn't understand you can teach one lesson to one group of kids and have it be a smash, and you can get the next group and it will fall flat on its face. And, and you know, like you said, observing and understanding just how different every kid is, is, is just... I mean, like, like I said, I, I'm so thrilled that we're a part of it now. And, you know, we, we've, you know, we're developing or we've developed a a mentoring program that we have for teachers in their first one to three years, because it's, it's just based on all the things we're trying to fill the gaps for all the things that we didn't learn when we started, you know, and for you to have that much experience, I think is like you said, there's there's nothing that can take the place of experience. There's no theory. There's no book. There's there's nothing that takes the place of experience. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So, man, I wish we could talk about this all night, but we definitely want to <laughs> be be respectful of your time. So, you know, one of the, one of the last things that we kind of want to wrap up with is is something that you mentioned, you know, in your talk about why you became a teacher and it's, you know, the importance of, of male teachers. So, you know, in, in the world we live in now, especially in the elementary setting, what's the importance of, of men in the profession? I, you know, I think that it's probably, it's, it's definitely one of the things that I'm the most vocal about, you know, and I, I think especially in early, you know, early childhood and especially elementary school, um, that was something that I was, I never had, you know, as a student and I never had a male teacher and I never, I never saw a male teacher in the classroom, you know? And I think even now the impact that a male can have in the classroom. And when I went to Illinois state university, I originally wanted to be a middle school history teacher, you know, cause I love, I love history so much and I could talk about it for hours and I wanted to teach middle schoolers. And then I sat down with somebody, um, one of the deans of the, the College of Education, and she sat down and she told me that almost, I forget what percentage she said, so I don't want to misquote it. Students right now, when they leave school, they go home to no father figure in their lives. You know, And like if you think about it and you really tally like how many hours your students spend in your classroom and then how many hours they spend at home during a regular week, they spend more hours in your room than they do at home Monday through Friday, you know, 
And if they're lacking that male role, or that male role model in their life, you know, imagine the impact that that can have on them as they go to middle school and high school, you know, without that influence. And, you know, something that I always tell my kids and I tell other teachers too is, you know, tell those young boys that they'll be great teachers when they're older, mm. you know, because that's something that I was never told by somebody. You know, that's something that I learned and, you know, from my experience as my first job, which I said was the best job ever, you know, but like so many boys right now are looking at these, you know, sports stars and TV stars and actors and, you know, imagine that one person, even if it was just one kid, one boy that you said that to or young adult, right? And you told them that they would make a great teacher when they're older. Imagine the impact that that would have on them if they know that they could not only improve their life as a teacher, but the impact that they could have on other young boys from being that positive male role or male role model in the classroom. Yeah, I mean, you know, that... it's funny you say that because even me going into middle school this year, of course, you know, they asked, you know, hey, is there anybody interested in coaching? And I said no, even though I, I had a small inkling that I would want to. I said, I don't want them to automatically see me, male teacher, middle school, and think coach. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if anything, I, I told one of my students, you know, they're like, you know, I have a whipple on my on my uh, lanyard, and he was like, you're a coach? I said, yeah, I'm a life coach. I like that. Right. You know, right. because, again, that is, the, that is the image that they portray is that, oh, you're a male teacher, you have to be a coach, be in the middle yeah. school. And I'm like, no, I'm a math teacher, but I'm a life coach. Yeah. You know, let me help you make let me help make you make your life. Not saying not every kid's life is bad, but everybody can do better. Right, and you know, we had a, we had a conversation with a teacher um, who was from from Wisconsin and is in Syracuse, uh, New York, teaching. But he was a special forces soldier, and he was talking about how he's really striving to to make education and teaching like a viable service for men, like, like you were saying to really make it something that, that, you know, men and boys can latch onto and say, yeah, you know, that's something I could do. You know, that's something that has value. Cause like you said, I was, you know, and I can think back to the times where I was young and I had teachers tell me that I would be a great teacher someday. And I had a teacher who told me that I would be a great speaker and someday I should, you know, be talking in front of people. And now I'm doing that, too. And and to your point, like those little things, those little seeds that you plant in kids are so important. And, and I think, too, and I'd be interested to get your take on this with the way the world is, um, you know, now compared to what it, what it was even just a few years ago, the way we you know, the way we're teaching boys and modeling for boys the right way to act in terms of, you know, especially with women, like, mm-hmm. what do you think our responsibility as teachers is with that? I mean, because the world has changed, but it it still needs to keep changing. Yeah, no, and I mean, like, it ultimately comes down to, the you know, that compassion, that respect, you know, and I hold every single one of my students in my classroom, I hold them to a high level. You know, and I teach them that that compassion and that kind of, you know, empathy and that, you know, just awareness, really. You know, and I think that that plays such a huge point in, 
you know, these future generations on how they not only perceive their own gender, but how they perceive, you know, other genders as well, you know, and it's such a huge part just to sit down and have those conversations with students and to even sit down and, you know, even now as a teacher to read a book that like 10 years ago would have been considered controversial, you know, about gender equality and, you know, gender fluidity and all that kind of stuff. And I think to be able to push that into a classroom and to even be able to like kind of plant those seeds early in children, I think is kind of, you know, I'm kind of blanking on the word, but, you know, it's kind of the start on, you know, how we're going to change these future generations to be more aware and to be more compassionate. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. That's a good, it's a good, good thought to end on. So, Will, you want to kind of get into the wrap up questions and we'll make sure that we all get to enjoy what's left of our Friday night, especially you guys getting done with your first week of school. This is true. So, just a last one, we want to wrap up real quick. What's the best advice you were ever given and who gave it to you? Best advice that I've ever been given? Um, I would say that that would definitely be from, uh, from one of my early elementary school teachers. And it was a quote... Um, actually from Frederick Douglass and it says once you learn to read you'll forever be free and I think that that's you know just to let that sit for a second that's one of the I think most powerful quotes that I've ever heard you know and just advice too because not only as teachers are we always learning as individuals but we want our students to you know push themselves in and outside of the classroom to learn new things you know, and I feel like once you build that solid foundation for a student and you tell them that quote, you know, once you learn to read, you will forever be free. You know, I think that that is, you know, the best advice that you could give to a student to really push themselves to be avid readers and to be, you know, those people that are constantly hungry to learn new things. And I think that, you know, it's it's such a short quote, but it's so powerful and, you know, so deep for, you know, just a, a skill to have in life, you know, and it's so transferable to so many different things, you know, regardless of what career path you go down. But I think that that's probably the best advice because that pushed me as an elementary school student. I know a lot harder because I didn't like to read when I was a kid. I'm not going to lie, you know, and hearing that quote and to, you know, hear that as a student is kind of the best advice because it made me kind of more self-aware, you know, of all these different avenues that I could take and, um, you know, just kind of, again, plant that seed early. Okay. Right. That's good. I'm, I'm going to have to, I, I saw that on your Instagram. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to, um, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to remix that one. Add that one to my repertoire. My, my great grandfather always used to say, do you know why they write so many books? And they put all the good information in it and nobody reads them. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, he, you know, even though it was only a third, day, third grade education, um, he pushed us, our great-grandfather, you know, pushed us to want to love the idea of opening up a book and going somewhere else. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, and to this day, I'm an avid reader. My kids, in my classroom, that was the first thing I set up was my bookshelf. <laughs> Personal books and math books. Yeah. You know, so, so they can see, even as a math driver, so I think yeah. that is so powerful. You're, you're right on point. So what advice would you give to a struggling teacher? Oh, man. Um, you know, that is definitely such a, a weird question because, I know, again, I'm a first-year teacher. It's so weird to answer that one because they're making me feel old now. Um, 
you know, I don't know. I mean, definitely ask for help. You know, like there's so, like collaboration is such a huge word in education and it's such a, you know, a, it's such an important word, you know, because as a new teacher, regardless of, you know, if teaching is your second career, your third career, or you're just brand new right out of college, right? There's so many things that, you know, I know how to do, but that there's so many things that I don't, you know, and if you're struggling you know, in a certain area, you're certain, or you're struggling in a particular subject, or just time management stuff like that. Ask people. You know, build those relationships with your colleagues and the people in your school. Those coaches, those you know, specialist teachers, every community member in your school. Build those relationships because that's going to be extremely huge when you need help. You know, and there's going to be a time in the year that you need help. You know, just to be able to go to those resources. And even if it's just one person in the building that you can go to, you know, one coach or somebody in the building that you can go to for advice, I think that that's probably, you know, the best advice or even to just go making, you know, making an account on Instagram and seeing different teachers and reaching out to them and seeing what they're doing, you know, stepping even outside your school and, you know, taking in all these different ideas and, you know, kind of running with it. Yeah. Absolutely. Right on. So the best reads you've had in the last twelve months. Oh man, that's also another really good one. See, I feel like I don't really read like adult novels anymore just because I'm always reading what my kids are gonna read in my classroom. Um <laughs> man, I would say wonder if I had to pick. If I really, really had to pick, I would say wonder. And I'm actually teaching that next week with my students, and that's the first novel that I'm kind of going over with them. Um, you know, just because it teaches, you know, that compassion and that, you know, bullying aspect that if you can hit that early on in the beginning of the year, you can make your kids compassionate and again, self-aware of not only what's happening in your room, but other classrooms in the school, you know, I think that, you know, wonder is such a powerful book because it really just kind of follows, you know, these characters and, you know, this kind of overall general topic of bullying, but it really kind of drives that home with your students, you know, in a very, I guess, subtle way, but it also kind of, you know, blatantly kind of calls it out, too. Mm -hmm. Right. My my daughter's favorite book, too, so. Yeah. All right, so what is your proudest accomplishment to date? Is it bad if I stay getting a job? (laughs) No. No. I would honestly, guys, I would honestly say that. You know, as a new teacher, I applied to so many jobs. I probably put out 70 applications for jobs all throughout Illinois. And it was such an, it was so much work because as a new teacher, you have to fill out all these resumes and, you know, prep for all these questions and study all these schools and then find even the job postings for them that like to be called in for an interview and to get that phone call is such a nerve wracking experience, but it's so meaningful, but it's like just to be in an interview and to go through multiple interviews is such a process. And when I finally got the job and honestly what I consider the, my dream district, cause it's a part of a community that I went to school in for four years and it's a part of a community that I could definitely see my, myself teaching in forever, you know? And I think that that's ultimately you know, kind of what it is. Right on. Awesome. So I know first year, and again, we want to thank you for taking the time out in your first week of your first year to talk with us and to kind of share your insight. Um, But I know you may not have given this a lot of thought, but 
if you could think of it, what would you want your lasting legacy to be? Um, I mean, kind of going back to, you know, the first hand museum stuff, I kind of, if there's, you know, even the slightest chance that with this company and, you know, it's still new, um, by no means is it, you know, old, it's under almost a year old. Um, if I could have some sort of lasting legacy where even if I just impacted a couple districts with it and, you know, my goal with it is to, uh, expand it across the nation. You know, and I want to I want to make sure that teachers in every single state and every single grade can get it. But even if my lasting legacy is just to provide these artifacts for, you know, even a, a select few of teachers or even just a district, if I can change the way that students learn by actually being able to hold these, you know, helmets from World War One and um, dinosaur bones and all this stuff, like you know, the student that I had, if I can even just impact one student or one teacher and change the way that they teach, I feel like, you know, I'll feel like I made a difference. Perfect. Perfect, man. Well, like I said, we're, we're so grateful and, and we're really glad we got a chance to have you on the podcast. Perfect. Thank you guys for having me on.